Hey there, it's Sam Piercy, and I want to welcome you to Money Minding Today. I am your host, and this week we're taking a high-level look at the issue of giving. And next week we're going to follow up with a show on uh, receiving. So this week the show is titled Letting Go, and next week it's called Bringing In. And before you go, yeah, 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 I've heard all this before, let me share with you what one of my prayer team said when I uh, mentioned the topic that I felt the Lord leading me to share with you. And it was just simply, oh, wow. So let's open with a word of prayer. Oh, Lord, Heavenly Father, you didn't call us to live by Christian principles. That would mean that you came to bring in another religion. Your word is your word, and words are alive and they're sharper than a two-edged sword. You called us into relationship with you, not just to be good stewards of what you taught. So as I share this message today, O Lord, I pray that it is your word that people hear and it is your word that people seek after. We are talking about a topic that brings with it a lot of emotion because it speaks to so many personal areas of our life. And in this discussion and the application of the message that you bring forth through this time together, I pray that it is your words that are multiplied to prosper your people beyond what they can ask or imagine as they ponder in their hearts the various issues that we have when dealing with money. And I pray these things in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. So as we get started, I want to encourage you to go to moneymindingtoday.com. You will find there an opportunity to listen to the show. Um, Please enter your name and email, which will take you to the next screen, where you can have access to all of the show archives and the notes and the discussion questions in an area that I called the Village of Blessings. In there, there's also a bunch of free resources. There's a special for uh, just for radio listeners and you also have an opportunity to ask questions and to make comments and we can talk about those potentially on a future show. It's moneymindingtoday.com by the way. So let's start off with this. There's three keys that we want to remember when it comes to money. Number one is we need a godly vision that has a price tag attached to it and that is what drives all the day-to-day financial decision making. Not the money that we can see or that we can assume to see but it's what is the price tag of the plans and the purposes and the ideas that God has called you to live. Number two, we need a system to manage the flow of money in and out of our life. Not a budget, because a budget says we've got some money, now we've got to deal with it. And yet Webster's actually defines budget as a planned expenditures and a program for financing them. We're also not just talking about a cash flow forecast, we're talking about an orderly implementation, making use of banking, credit, insurance and investments, even tax and estate planning tools to handle the flow of money in and out of your life, uh, when and how and where money comes in and goes out. The third thing that is a key to remember in all of this is that God calls each of us individually. He gives each of us unique skills, passions, experiences, connections, ideas, etc. And all of those he expects us to plant to produce a harvest that will feed us as well as overflow to others for our next two generations. Um, such as uh, leaving an inheritance to your children's generation. And all of this on a day-to-day basis and going forward is with thanksgiving to him. So when we think about those three things, vision, system, and income, 
The big issue that I know everybody struggles with because I struggle with it and I have been around finance for about 30 years is how. How do we do this? How do we manage the money? Because we always want to see where money is coming from so that we can make our plans. And yet Proverbs 16.9 is pretty clear when it says, we can make our plans, but it's the Lord who determines our steps. This is true of every area of finance. Income, we're happy if we believe that we'll get a certain paycheck every two weeks because we think we can count on that. What we forget is that if somebody writes us a paycheck, they can also write us a pink slip. We're also happy or we feel safe and secure if there's a certain amount of money in the bank. And when we don't, then that's it. We have this sense that, oh, the sky is falling and that's it. Doom and gloom. It's true of investing. We don't like to take what we would call risk, which is the fear of loss. Most people are much happier when they can see predictable returns. And that's human nature. We want to be able to see something that's predictable. If we don't understand it, then we perceive it to be riskier and therefore we don't do it. We, we want to see the potential rewards. Fair enough. When it comes to giving, it's the same thing. Too many people I meet, they give based on what they think they can afford or what sometimes they will give because they feel like they should give. And there's a huge difference though between giving because of love and honor and respect for the Lord or giving out of fear of not giving. See, it's, yes, it's a, it, it is definitely a godly principle within the Bible, but it's our heart that God wants. We've got habitual tithers and sometimes they just do it without even thinking. They put it on automatic pilot. It's not an honor thing. So we want to get to the place that we're showing. It's like a being invited to somebody's home and you show up with a gift because you want to, not because you feel guilty if you show up at the door without bringing anything. It's a matter of our heart. We want to be excited to go and share and excited to give. And so let's take a look at this whole concept of giving because God does say give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be into your bosom for the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. That's in Luke 6:38. So what is a measure? It's how we value something. It's a ruler, a yardstick, so to speak, or a measuring cup. What's the value that we place on God's word, on his promises, and how that relates to our everyday life? If we value money, we value what we can see, then we're going to look at the idea of giving as something that belongs to us, that we have to uh, determine then what's the best way to use it or the best way to steward what we've been given to us. And we can say, oh, well, it's God's money and he's given it to manage. But still, then we have to be careful that we don't get into this concept of just looking at biblical principles. How do we value God's word? How do we value the relationship that we have with the Lord? How do we value these things that he has put brought into our life? See this, it's a mindset. We've got a mindset flowing from principles, which are about rules and conduct, which are very different than spiritual laws, like physical laws, which govern the natural world. Principles are how we get along within the world we live in. 
spiritual laws, though, have determined the natural laws. And so if we look at something like gravity, which is pretty straightforward, the Earth's rotation and other keys to our natural environment, if we work against them, we know that if we jump off of a high building, um, thinking that we have some sort of a superpower, that we're not really going to be able to fly unless we have a parachute. But parachutes and airplanes and various things are how man has, over the years, been able to develop tools to work with the natural laws of gravity. See, it's not the tools that came first. The airplane was the result of knowledge of the natural laws and the creative wisdom to harness the principles of flight in order to fly airplanes, for example. But it's God's spirit that is the beginning, the middle, and the end of all of it. And he is the one who has given us the power and the wisdom to identify and harness the principles of the created world. His word and his spirit are what have given this power to all who believe. The key is the measure to which we believe. When it comes to finances, this is a tough one, though, because we have limited knowledge and the devil has done a really good job of causing the subject of money to be focused on the principles, not on the source. I have struggled with this for many, many years, and uh, I've read everything I could find on tithing, mostly because that was the one bit of financial teaching that I did get when I attended church. I poured myself into studying everything I could find for and against and the maybe um, topic on tithing. I tried for a long time to just do it because God said, but I didn't have the depth of understanding at, of the power of the Holy Spirit working within me. And it was... Be, uh, a constant battle in my mind as I calculated the numbers. Now, some people, they don't have this issue. I'm just telling my story. I went through a long period of time where I felt relieved when I was introduced to a teaching that said, oh, tithing was Old Testament and Jesus uh, abolished all that um, rule stuff at the cross. But then I experienced some conflict in my spirit as I listened to an in-depth teaching called Jesus is the Tithe. It was a fantastic message, but if we are told to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and if Jesus is the storehouse, then hmm, all of a sudden the principles became confusing again, so I was really no better off than whether I believed that we should or shouldn't. And One day, though, while I was praying about this, the Lord spoke to my spirit and directed me to the account of Cain and Abel with a simple question of, who told either of them to bring in an offering? And the issue I discovered wasn't about, was about the heart and the level of sacrifice or the measure, the value that either of those put on God's goodness. And the same goes for us. What is the measure or the value that we put on God's goodness, on his love, his provision, his protection, his promises, regardless of what we can see or think we can see or what we think we want or don't want? So here's my message to you on all of this. Like salvation and like your personal relationship with the Lord, you have to do the research. You have to read the word. You have to dialogue with Jesus through prayer to get it clear in your own heart. God will speak to you personally about what he expects and what he wants for you individually to fulfill his purposes through your life. He will never tell you to do something counter to his word. And as you read and pray through the word, you'll find the value or the measure of his word will increase to you. You're not looking in his word to validate what you want to do or not do. 
You're looking in his word for what he wants you to do, what he says in the word, and the, the spirit will speak to you as you read and process and meditate on the word all day long. You can always find ways to justify something that you want, or you can find ways to rise above your own ideas, your plans, and your desires to seek after his ideas, uh, his desires, and his purposes for you at this time in your life. Is it easy to trust in what you don't see? Of course not. But again and again and again, we discover that God's ways are infinite and creative beyond what we can think or see. So remember, as we're talking about this, to visit moneymindingtoday.com so you can sign up to get the notes because the follow-up discussion questions are really where you get to process it and meditate on it and and uh, ask some tough questions. There's always some application questions. and So let's look at a couple of examples of God multiplying through something the people didn't at first see. Elijah and the widow in 1 Kings 17.7. The widow there was preparing her last meal for her and her son, and then they were going to go and die. But the word of the Lord was to give some, through Elijah, was to give some to the man of God. And then, of course, the, the flour and the oil would not run out. She thought that was it. Life was over. And then in 2 Kings 4, uh, we have the account of Elisha and the widow who was in debt and her two sons were about to be taken from her. And um, she was told to then go and borrow clay jars from her neighbors and then to receive what the Lord had for her in terms of the oil. And interestingly, she had to be told to go and sell the oil to produce the income to pay for the debt. But the result was obvious. God gave the power to produce the income through the borrowing of the jars. In all four Gospels, we've got multiple accounts of Jesus feeding the multitude as well. We've got the the small um, fish and a bunch of loaves. And interestingly, that when the disciples went out into the crowd, well, first of all, they thought they had to pay for the food. Jesus didn't say, no, I didn't ask you to pay for it. I asked you to go and see what was there. And then they came back and they belittled what small seed they had but of course we know that the impact was that everybody was fed and there was left over for for everybody see second corinthians 9 verses 10 to 13 tells us that he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service which you have proved yourselves. Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Paul was telling the Corinthians to be prepared to give. And in order to do that, you need to have a couple of things in place. You need to have something in place to receive the overflow, and we'll talk more about that next week as well. God's going to give you enough to eat as well as enough to plant, to continue that process, and to share with lots left over for praise and worship and celebration. Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 16 to gather the collection so that when when he and his team came through, the people were ready to give. 
they were told to prepare their giving ahead of time. So that tells me, get a system in place. And in today's environment, that means part of our cash flow management looks like having a process so that when some money comes in, you just automatically set aside the amount that you're going to give. Create a separate bank account. It doesn't mean that when you're sitting there and the offering plate is passed around, that's when you start calculating how much money you have or how much money came in and you start adding it up. If you get $1,000, poof, take $100 and put it into a separate account. That way that you know how much is set aside and you can give more after if you want, but it's already put aside. It's out of your mainstream banking. You don't have to think about it. There it is. So in order to experience the increase, you need to have good soil to plant as well. So what are we doing with our seeds? Are we consuming them all? Are we just scattering them here and there between bank accounts and credit cards and investments and giving what we think makes sense or listening to somebody that has some kind of a a great tip, uh, once in a lifetime opportunity? How are we planning and preparing and being intentional with this? See, we in Matthew 13, we learn about the parable of the sower. The farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering, not planting intentionally the seed, some fell along the the path and the birds came up and and ate it. Some fell on the rocky places where there wasn't much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but then the sun came up and the plants were scorched and they withered and they, because they had no root. And then we hear that other seed fell on thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, and other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So this is a powerful, powerful parable. But it it carries on, right? When the disciples asked Jesus about this parable, his response was, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to everybody else. Whoever has... Um, whoever has what the secrets to the kingdom this is important will be given more and they will have an abundance whoever does not have the secrets to the kingdom even what they will have will be taken from them Jesus also referenced Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah 6 9 and 10 making a connection between the old and the new and then he continued on and telling them that the parable means that when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, what was sown into their heart. This is the seed that was sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they, uh, um, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. See, the seed falling away, falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth, they'll choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. And that's the one that produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown based on the measure, the value that they put on the word. Jesus continued when he was with this parable, also talking about the weeds and the wheat and the enemy choking out the good seed. And uh, also the master telling the servants then to let them both grow up and to then pull out the the weeds from the wheat and following up that he's got the parable of the mustard seed 
um, being the smallest of all seeds, but when it grows up, it becomes the largest in the garden. And the yeast is also a parable immediately following that in that same kind of discussion. And it's the uh, the kingdom of heaven being like the yeast, that it just gets in there and it's mixed around and it does eventually produce the dough, the good dough. or the good tall plants, but it takes some time, it takes some mixing. So we have to be able to to process this, which is why we need the Word. See, since the beginning of creation, God utters these these things so that we can see in the created how His Spirit works and how we can apply the principles through the power of His Spirit to produce something that increases. We have to have a garden, a vehicle, we need some ingredients, some soil, uh, something for that tiny seed of faith to be systematically planted so that he will cause the power in the seed to grow and the harvest that feeds you and others and overflow for everyone with all praises to him. See, it's not through the principles that we triumph over the mindsets and strongholds of the world's economic systems. God didn't ask us to take down the whole economy, but he did ask us to serve him and to love others. And he promises us financial blessings and prosperity without painful toil for it in Proverbs 10.22. Money isn't evil, but denying that it's important in our society and in God's plans doesn't seem to propagate an environment receptive to ears to hear how God wants to plant those seeds either. When it comes to giving money, we are each given different passions and purposes and skills and interests and experience and opportunities that we can give. We can give of our money, we can give of our time, we can give of our talent, and we can give through spending, through investing, and also through gifts and giving. So specifically, I want to look at four types of giving. So we can talk about spending and how spending is a blessing later. We can talk about investing uh, for income uh, in another show. But specifically, I want to start off with giving. Because if we're looking at give and it shall be given to you, let's look at the four types of biblical giving. Each one has different purposes. They have a voice attached to to it in heaven. And uh, because we know it's the Spirit of God that ultimately influences the natural world we live in and that God's economy is opposite to the world's economy. So when the world's economy says save and invest, God says uh, give and sow. So um, giving challenges us, though, because we really do have to let go. We have to let go of what we can see, and that challenges challenges us to stand on what we can't see but we know because it's been passed on through the ages so the four types of biblical giving and the purposes I didn't um, come up with this on my own this wasn't my own revelation I've heard it from a few different places so let me give you a summary and if you want you can ask me to uh, expand on it in another show The first one, of course, is tithing. We have all heard about tithing, 10% of everything that we received. Malachi 3 verses 8 to 11 is the classic verse on tithing. The motivation for tithing is obedience to God's word. The reward is his blessing. And the purpose is to rebuke the devourer. The tithe is given to the storehouse, which is Jesus, where we get our spiritual food. Where are you receiving your spiritual teaching? It might be the church, it might be something else, but where 
and that might change, but the amount and the purpose and the reward of tithing doesn't change. It's not something we do out of guilt. It's not something we do um, with any kind of condemnation. It's something we do because the in obedience to the Lord and His uh, and His Word. And the purpose, of course, is so that He will rebuke the devourer from our life. Okay, second type is our first fruits or our offerings. And and this is uh, Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 and Nehemiah 10, 35 are references for that. The motivation behind offerings is generosity. The reward is the is an abundant life. And the purpose is to pro, is to give to the church, typically to demonstrate gratitude for the increase in your income. And often this is an annual type of giving and it's not tithing. This is something done out of generosity. A, our next type is almsgiving, which is compassionate giving to the poor to help others that are uh, in need. And this type of giving is done quietly under the table. You don't say a whole lot about it. It's just sort of slip some money here and there. Matthew 6, 3 and 4, Proverbs nineteen seventeen are references for almsgiving and the motivation, compassion, sympathy and love. The reward is reimbursement. That means that what you give, you will be reimbursed. You don't get increase on that. And then you get the joy and treasures in heaven for almsgiving. And the purpose, of course, is caring for others. The final type of giving is seed giving. And that's what we learn about in Mark 4 verse 8. The motivation here is reward, is increase. That reward is the 30, 60 or 100 fold increase in what was sown into good soil, which can be the church, it can be ministry, it can be to other people. But the purpose here is to increase your seed and your blessings to overflow to others with thanksgiving to God tithing, offerings, alms, and seed. Four different types of biblical giving. Where are you planting your seed? Are you investing your seed into something that can multiply, increase, and prosper you and expand the kingdom of God? Are you planting seeds with gifts, time, talent, and treasure? What is the garden, where the field that you're planting and cultivating? Are you sowing into church ministry, marketplace ministry, family ministry, environmental ministry? God will show you how and where to plant a seed as you turn to him. He will show you with uh, compassion. He will show you by speaking to your heart where um, he wants you to give and when he wants you to give. The tithing is totally is a, a separate deal. That is all about giving to him with your ten percent and then he will do more with that 90 percent as you trust him and follow through with him and he rebukes the devourer from your life can you let go of the uncertainty the resentment the bitterness judgment skepticism and and even that whole prosper that fear or the negativity towards prosperity and recognize that where and how and with whom God is directing you, that all of these things are important in allocating the money that he brings into your life. When we try to hold on, when we try to control to steward the money, it becomes an idol. We are the ones that are then making the decision. This leads to lack, it leads to uncertainty, it leads to guilt, it leads to misdirected focus and unfulfilled purposes. Why? Because there is limited soil for multiplying the harvest that he intends to fulfill when we try to hold on to it. 
And so that's why we called today's show Letting Go. God speaks to you through the glimpses of the desires and he shows us in his word where and how he wants us to sow that, to give that. Give and it shall be given unto you. It's not gambling or trickery. It's a spiritual law that impacts the natural laws that we live in. If you're not sure where to plant it, at least set the money aside so that you are prepared when God's disciples come through and the Holy Spirit says, okay, now give. Take it out of your mainstream bank account so that you're prepared and then go to the word and he will show you where and how and when as you honor him and you give him first place. So Heavenly Father, I pray that these seeds are taken and they are planted, that the seeds of the words are planted on good soil. And um, as we carry on this week, I pray to everybody listening that the Lord, that you bless them and keep, and keep them and that your face will shine upon them, that you are gracious to them. And I pray peace and prosperity. Thank you, Father. In your mighty name, Jesus, I pray. And so remember to get the notes and the follow-up from moneymindingtoday.com. Thank you, and um, have a great week. God bless.